today's Bible reading is from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 29. 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 29. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is, has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you this morning and opening this part of God's Word. Please keep your Bibles open at uh, 1 John chapter 2. Um, I'm going to pray again briefly for us and as we come to consider this part of God's Word. uh, Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your Word. Thank you for this time now to draw aside, to, uh, to listen to it, to think upon it. Father, please give us minds to understand and please give us hearts ready to respond to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Kind of a show of hands, um, who would describe themselves as a runner? John was very quick there. Um, maybe, look, uh, is, maybe I'll broaden a bit. It's, it, running is something that you kind of have done a little bit at some point in life. Or uh, whoever's, Who's been in a running race ever? Come on, that, that includes a lot of people. It's, it's called School Athletics Carnival, right? Um, com- compulsory point for the house or something like that. Um, it's interesting, you know, running has grown in popularity in recent decades. Um, it's much more mainstream now than it, than it once was. Once upon a time, you know, if you said that you're a runner, it was kind of, that was pretty weird. 
Um, to illustrate this, this shift in attitudes, there's a, a quote from um, the movie Back to the Future 3, uh, where Doc goes back in time to 1885, and he's talking with some locals there about what life is like in the future in 1995, and uh, here's what happens. If everybody's got one of these auto watches, does anybody walk or run There you go, run for fun. What the hell kind of running is that? Is it fun is that? Um, now, there are, of course, different types of running. There's, there's uh, sprints, there's middle distance, there's long distance. Um, some of you might know I am a runner. Um, I do enjoy, I run for fun. Um, and I'm currently training for my first road marathon later this year. So I guess that does put me in the, the long distance category. Now, with long-distance running, uh, with a, a, a long-distance race, the, the easy part of the race is what? Is starting. I mean, pretty much anyone could start a long-distance race. The more difficult part is finishing. Uh, it takes perseverance. It takes endurance. It takes patience. Uh, along the way, there's, there's various op you face opposition and challenges, whether it's other competitors or whether it's the weather conditions or the terrain, uh, external opposition. And there, you face internal challenges as well, the, the psychological challenge, the battle to, to keep going uh, when it's tough. Long distance running can be tough. And you might be thinking, why is Jono talking about running? It's not just gratuitous because I like running and that's a funny video, but it's because living as a Christian in this world has been likened to running a long distance race. Uh, in fact, there are a number of Bible passages that draw the link between uh, between this, the, the, the Christian life and a long-distance race. In fact, the, the second song we sang this morning, it comes from this, uh, this Bible passage, Hebrews 12, two, uh, two, sorry, 12, verse 1, which says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Or another one, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Or Galatians 5, 7, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Or Acts 20 verse 24, However I consider my life worth nothing to me, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Well, last one, 2 Timothy 4, 7 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So living as a Christian in this world is, is like running a long distance race. So how can we run well so that we, so that we do finish the race? Well, one key thing about running a race is, is understanding the goal. Understanding that the race has a start, it has a finish, that it's actually going somewhere. There is a goal, there's a, there's a destination, there's an end point. And, and that goal, that destination, that end point, that, that helps you understand the race and it helps you to shape how you run. As Christians, we need to understand the, the nature of the race and the, the end point, the goal of the race. Now, 1 John 2 doesn't actually mention this illustration of running a race, but it does have this similarity in that it, it speaks of that end point. In 2 verse 17, it says, The world and its desires pass away, 
but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, this is the key truth to understand. The world and its desires pass away. This world is, it's not an ever-enduring constant. It's, it's actually coming to an end. In fact, in verse 18, it describes the time in which we live as the last hour. We're living in the, the last hour. We're, we're heading towards the end. The world and its desires are passing. Now, what does John mean by the world? It's more than just uh, planet Earth. John uses the phrase the world in a, in a particular way and, and it's a significant theme throughout this letter. The world, according to John, in the way he uses it, it represents evil opposition to God. Uh, the world is the domain of the evil one. We see that over in, um, in uh, 1 John 15, uh, sorry, 5 verse 19. It says, we know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Or back in 4 verse 4, it says, uh, 4 verse 4, You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Furthermore, the world represents hatred of believers in 3 verse 13. And here in chapter 2, the desires of the world are, are opposite to the will of God. And so we have there in verse 16 where the world is characterized by the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these things that come from, not from the Father, but from the world. So the world represents evil opposition to God and the world and its desires are a passing. That same word passing is used uh, earlier in 2 verse 8 to talk about darkness. It says 2 verse 8 because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining so as christians we need to understand the time in which we're living we live in the world the world in in opposition to god the the world in which there's much darkness and hatred and sin but this world this dark the darkness of it is passing it's coming to an end it's the the last hour so to speak there's a slide here um, uh, from a, a sermon Ben preached, an excellent sermon Ben preached um, a little while ago on living in the last days. Uh, there is a lot going on in this slide. John, I apologise. Um, you probably have a few, some coaching for, for Ben as to, you know, how to improve this. But, um, but you, you get the, the sense of it. We are living where the little the stick man is. We are living in the last days. This world and its desires are heading towards the last day, the final day of judgment. But because of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, the true light has already begun to shine, as, as 2 verse 8 says. The new age of the kingdom of God, the resurrection age, has begun. And so we live now in this, this overlap of the ages, the, the overlap that will continue until Jesus returns, when the world, as we know it, will pass away, when he will bring judgment and will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. So we live in this, this overlap of the ages, the, the last days, or as this passage says, the last hour. So how should we live? Understanding that that's the end to which, to which we're running, how should we live? How, how, how should we run the race in this time? Well, God's word here says simply, do not love the world or anything in the world. Don't fill your heart with love for things of this world, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Because that stuff 
doesn't come from God, it comes from the world and the world and its desires, all that stuff is passing away. Now, this world that John writes about is, of course, our world, the world in which we live. I mean, this describes our world. Our world is obsessed with the the lust of the flesh. It's obsessed with with sex and sensuality and satisfying the desires of the flesh however we can. Our world's obsessed with the the lust of the eyes, the insatiable desire to to have more, to, to possess, to consume. The world's obsessed with with the pride of life, boasting in, in who we are, in what we have, in what we, we, we do. This is, this is the world. This is our world. And so I guess in response to, to God's Word, we need to ask, well, is this us? And, and do we love the world in this way? Because God's Word warns us, it, it commands us not to love the world. So what is it that we love? Do we lust after getting nice stuff and, and boast in the, the nice stuff that we have? Does that, does that captivate our hearts, our ambitions, our desires? Do we love some secret craving? Do we harbour some secret lust that we, that we indulge in? God's Word says, says to Christians, do not love the world or anything in the world, because if you're a Christian, you know the Father. If you're a Christian, you, your sins have been forgiven. If you're a Christian, you have overcome the evil one. As the previous verses you looked at last week in 12 to verse 14 says, you know the Father. Your sins have been forgiven. You have overcome the evil one, so don't love the world. Love for the world is, is incompatible with love for the Father. And those two loves lead in two very different directions, to two very different outcomes. If you put yourself in the world's camp, you're passing away. If you put yourself in God's camp, verse 17 says, the one who does the will of God lives forever. So as we're running the race, as we're living as, as God's people in this last hour, how are we to live? Well, we're, we're not to love the world or anything in the world. What does that look like in practice? I mean, as we live life in this world, does it mean that we should, I don't know, we need to leave the world, we need to live in some sort of monastery or you know, religious commune or something and you know, set, set up uh, a, a commune where we, we live together and, you know, and just shut ourselves off from the world? Well, no, we're not to do that. We're to live in this world, but we're not to, our love is to not be for this world and the things of this world. Our love is for the Father and for engaging in, in His mission in this world, His mission to see people from this world come to know and trust the Lord Jesus. We live in the world, but we live as foreigners, as strangers in the world. We don't belong to this world. Our citizenship, as Philippians says, is with God in His kingdom. Secondly, not loving the world doesn't mean that we you know, we mustn't enjoy life or enjoy the things of, of this world, the, God, the good things that He gives us. This isn't some sort of call to, to be miserable. Um, in fact, 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 speaks of God richly providing us with everything, it says, for our enjoyment. So it's right to enjoy the, the good gifts that God's provision gives us. 
as we live in this world, to enjoy those things whilst not worshipping them, whilst not putting our hope in them. But living in the world and enjoying the good gifts of God is, is different to loving this world and the things of this world. The thing to ask is, where's our allegiance? Where's our heart? Is it towards our Heavenly Father, seeking to pursue His will, to remain in His ways, to to run towards His kingdom? Or are we running off course? Are we pursuing the things of this world? Are we pursuing things in opposition to God? Pursuing our own pleasure, our own affluence, our own self-importance, as if we're what matters most. Friends, I want to say if you're straying down that path, hear the Word of God, which calls us to not love the world or the things of this world. It warns us of the outcome, the the future, that this world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. So as we run this race, we need to know that life life in this, this last hour is about loving the Father, not the world and the things of the world. But secondly, if we're going to run the race well, we need to know that, that this last hour is a time of opposition. It's a time in which antichrists will come, the passage says. Now, who are these antichrists? Perhaps as you hear that, that word, you, your mind kind of goes to some sort of you know, great, evil, terrible world ruler in the end time or something. Uh, verse 19 just says that antichrists are people who have left the church or people who've left the, the fellowship of God's people. Verse 22 says they're people who, who then deny that Jesus is the Christ. They deny the Father and the Son. So these antichrists are people who have they've drifted from the truth of the gospel as it's been taught from the beginning, and they end up denying that Jesus is the Christ, that he is God come in the flesh, as chapter 4 verse 2 says. So they no longer belong with the fellowship of believers, so they've They've left, they went out from us. John says, verse 19, uh, verse 19, they, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, what this means is, um, is that being part of a church, belonging, is clearly not enough. Uh, there can be people who, who seemingly belong, but don't really know or believe the truth. And in time, that becomes clear, as it did in the case of John's readers. Sadly, I've seen this happen. Uh, I've seen this happen in churches where people who seemingly belong but don't actually believe, in time, they drift and leave the fellowship of God's people. Relationship with God is more than belonging to a church. It's it's based on believing in Christ. I think this is a warning to to anyone who thinks that they're okay with God because they belong to a church. If that's you, if you think you're okay with God because you belong to this church, you're not yet a Christian. In fact, there's every chance that you're an anti-Christian, if I can put it that way. That you, and if you continue in that path, that you will sooner or later drift from seemingly belonging to, to actually leaving the fellowship of God's people. You need to believe in Christ, not just belong There's a warning there for us. I think it also warns us that as Christians, we're going to face opposition in the form of false teaching or or false influences. Teaching that that wants to move on to 
to bigger and better things, teaching that moves away from the truth about Jesus and that redefines Jesus, that redefines sin, that redefines judgment, that redefines the gospel, teaching that in the end becomes anti-Christian, denying that Jesus is the Christ, is God come in the flesh as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, the thing about false teaching is that it's usually subtle. People don't usually stand up and say, I am a false teacher, I have drifted from the gospel. I mean, if they do say that, it's pretty easy to spot, but um, it's usually more subtle than that. And it's why we need to, to test what we're being taught. We need to test it against God's Word. It's why we, we have our Bibles open here at, at church, encourage you to have your Bible to, to, to examine what's being taught against God's Word. And, and you need to be reading the Bible yourself so that you're shaped by God's Word, so that you can, you can see false teaching for what it is. We have the truth and we need, need to stick to the truth. Now, maybe you think, oh, look, Jono, we don't need to worry about false teaching. I mean, that's, that happens in other churches, in other, you know, dodgy denominations. And, you know, we're Anglicans. We're the good guys. So, you know, relax. If you're thinking that, I'd say, no, think again. I mean, it's true, many Anglican churches in Sydney and, and in parts of Australia and through in, in many parts of the world are based on God's Word and are seeking to, to teach the, the Bible and to, 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 to stick to the importance and the centrality of, of God's Word. But we mustn't be complacent. And just because a church is Anglican doesn't mean it sticks to the truth. Um, I mean, the world, I'm not sure how much you're aware at the moment, the worldwide Anglican church is, in a, is currently in crisis due to the fact that the, the UK-based leadership has, has departed from the teaching of the Bible regarding human sexuality and is no longer upholding the authority of the Bible. Uh, many church leaders are, are seemingly drifting and starting to, to love the world and to seek to conform to the world and be affirmed by the world. They've let go of the truth as it's been taught. In fact, the, um, recently there's a, a, um, a GAFCON conference in Rwanda where, which, where uh, leaders from representing 85% of the world's Anglicans uh, met and passed a vote of no confidence in the UK-based leadership of the Worldwide Anglican Communion. Uh, we mustn't be complacent. We must be people of the Word of God and we have the truth. We must stick with the truth, which is what John tells his readers. He's writing to them because, well, there are those who are, who are left and are trying to lead them astray, he says in verse 26. And he reminds them of, of what they have. Look there, verse 20, he says, verse 20, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Oh, there it is. Um, now, there are two things here, and the two go together. Take the second one first. All of you know the truth. He says, verse, he continues, verse 21, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. He says, don't be put off by these false teachers if they say, guys, you don't really have the truth. I mean, you need the new and improved Jesus, version 2.0. Remember they say, you don't, you don't really need Jesus, you actually need Muhammad, or you need this other new age guru, or you need our church, you need our organisation, our religion, or our culturally endorsed ideology we need to be careful of um, the desire for newness and novelty um, 
Who, who likes new things? I, I like new things. Yeah, I'm just a show of hands. Um, that, I think by nature, we, do, we are drawn to novelty, to new things. I mean, give me something new, a new gadget, a new experience, a new idea. Novelty is prized by our culture. It's, I think, often prized by our hearts. We need to be wary of novelty when it comes to Christian truth because we don't need something new. We need to be reminded to stick with the truth that we already have, to not be drawn away from it, which is what John says. He says, don't be put off. You, you already have the real thing. I'm not writing to enlighten you. I'm just reminding you of the truth which you already have. And you can spot the truth. You can spot a liar. He says, verse 22, who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. John says, stick to what you know. And he continues, verse 24, As for you, see that you, what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. Remain in what you've heard from the beginning. Rest assured, you, you have the truth. Keep running in it. The other thing John says you already have, back in verse 20, all of you know the truth. But the other thing he says is, you have an anointing from the Holy One. Now, what's this anointing? Well, down in verse 27, it's, um, this anointing is received from Him, the Father. It remains in you and it teaches you about all things. Now, it doesn't explicitly say it, but it's pretty clear this is talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a similar passage in John's Gospel where Jesus tells his disciples that uh, the Father will send the, will send the Holy Spirit, the, the Advocate, the Counselor to them. He says in uh, John's Gospel, uh, John 14, 26, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will, notice, teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Likewise, it says in John 16, verse 13, uh, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So the Holy Spirit had a, a similar role of, of teaching, of reminding John, Jesus' first disciples of his word and, and guiding them into all the truth. And here in 1 John, he says, as Christians, we all have an anointing that that teaches us, that leads us to know the truth. So we can rest assured, we have God's Spirit, an anointing from God the Holy One. Now there's a play on words um, going on here. Um, does anyone know what the word Christ means? What does the word Christ mean? We actually I kind of had a bit of this on the, uh, the coronation last night. It actually means anointing, the anointed one. So Christ is Greek, Messiah is Hebrew, they both mean anointed one. And there's a bit of a play on words going on here because John's saying, you don't need to be led astray by these antichrists, these anti-anointeds, because you have the real anointing, you have the real Christ. God's Holy Spirit remains in you and you, verse 27, don't need anyone to teach you. You don't need some new teacher to bring you the new and improved way. You have the truth and you have a teacher from God. So if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, God come in the flesh as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, if our trust is in Him, we have God's Holy Spirit teaching us the truth of God's Word. What an 
awesome privilege that is. We have both God's Word in black and white and we have His Holy Spirit helping us, teaching us, enabling us to know and understand and take His Word to heart. So to pull this together, we're running the race of the Christian life. We're running in amongst this God-opposing world with its desires. We've got to remember the end point. The world and its desires is passing away. The one who does the will of God will live forever. And so as God's people, don't love the world or anything in the world. Love God the Father. Remain in Him. Remain in the truth that you know. Don't be led off on some other path by, by others who in the end deny Christ. Remain in Him. Remain in the truth that you've heard from the beginning. You have God's Word and you have God's Spirit to help you and to teach you His Word. And as we run, let's pray that we stay on course. That we don't love the world, but love God the Father. That we remain in Him and the truth of His Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.